You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. My name is Weston Akamura from Tokyo, Japan. It is Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022.、Uh, I am filling in、uh, for Warren Pies, and I'd like to welcome Mr. Warren Pies, founder of 314 Research. How are you, Warren? I'm good. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, indeed. So,、um, Tommy Thornton will be back.、Um, and so, you were supposed to kind of be in this seat. Uh, instead, I'm going to be、um, kind of grilling you. Well, I'm going to be grilling per se.、Um, but、um, yeah, let's just go through some of the,、uh, the overnight data. So, in Asia, you basically so you had Japan, China closed.、Uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia hikes rates by 25 basis points, which was more than surveyed expectations. This is the first、uh, hike by the RBA since、uh, 2010.、Uh, RBA Governor Lowe was fairly hawkish. And you saw Aussie dollar rallying nearly、uh, about 1.5%、um, you know, as Aussie yield spiked.、Uh, Europe slightly in the green at the close. Euro stocks ended up about half percent led by energy. 10 year German yields are now above 1% for the first time since 2015. And then it seems like US、uh, equity indices, which opened flat,、um, are, are closing about half、uh, a percent up on SPX. VIX is dipping below 30. Uh, 10 year real yields are back in positive territory. And we wait for the May FOMC policy tomorrow,、um, where we are expected to get a 50 basis point rate hike and、uh, potentially a rather hawkish Powell、uh, press conference thereafter.、Um, also on the data front, US job openings rose unexpectedly to a record 11.5 million.、Uh, so that's the setup going into FOMC tomorrow. Uh, Warren, A, did I miss anything? And B, what, what are your thoughts、uh, heading into FOMC tomorrow? I think that was a good、uh, rundown of the daily kind of state of affairs.、Um, I'd say that, you know, we've been in a, a bear market this year. This is kind of what we expected. And then the rally coming off the March lows into kind of the most recent swoon has been kind of confusing. Spent, we spent some time trying to figure that out. When we get zooming in really close to the last 24 hours, we had the Treasury come out and make an announcement. I don't think it's a huge, huge deal, but basically, underlying tax receipt data that we've been following and tracking came in strong. And so the Treasury issuance of new debt is, is going to be. Lower than the market expected. And so I think that you know, the market read that as a potential cap on more of the back end of the curve for rates to not run away from us. And, and right now, it just, it's important to kind of keep the big picture simple, which is that you, know, you have true inflationary concerns that are pushing up,、uh, pushing on Fed policy, pushing on political pressure, which has been pushing on Fed policy. That's driving interest rates higher. Interest rates go e s higher, and you see you know, a whole host of, of assets where valuations have been predicated on low rates for many years. And so we have a repricing going on.、Um, and at the same time, obviously, you, you, I think we're all kind of like a frog in boiling water watching the Russia Ukraine crisis and realizing we need to keep that in the front of our minds and realize that、uh, every day brings us closer to a full embargo of Russian energy and oil. And 
you know, I'm writing this week's report and I said in the intro that, you know, coming into the year, it was an infinitesimal risk of stagflation. And now I think it's a coin flip that we get really brutal stagflation. And so these are, it's the way I see it at this point in time and, and happy to go into to any of those topics with you. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that was pretty, I mean, so just on that point too, U.S. net gas did touch um, a new high in terms of its sort of recent rally that we've had year to date. Um, but yeah, let's just take a look back at, uh, you know, I mean, especially the the month of April was, was pretty brutal for, you know, for equities um, globally. And then obviously the first quarter of the year was, I believe it was the worst on record in terms of fixed income returns. Uh, that's not, you know, that's not good. Um, and so with that said, you know, it's kind of reading through um, your report uh, that you put out. And first of all, I, I really like your steel man sort of uh, approach. Uh, you know, last time uh, you were actually on the, you know, hosting the Real Vision Daily Briefing, you know, you said that, you know, at 314 at your firm, you you have this steel man thing, you know, this opposing argument, right? By by which, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're using the term within the context of the phrase, you know, a straw man, you know, so basically you're trying to proactively construct like the, the strongest argument that goes against your own thesis uh, or your own views in, in order to expose or to bring out or bring to light, you know, your, your blind spots or your potential like personal risk exposure, like basically a mission of finding like, what are you missing, right? Um, so by that definition, um, are you, um, you know, what, what do you, I guess, what do you look at? What, what did you find in your sort of steel man analysis? Um, and, and do I have that interpretation correct? Yeah, you said it perfectly. You know, I mean, I think it's common for strategists, for humans in general to kind of get, you know, wedded to a position. And you almost see it if you watch enough of these shows and stuff, you're going to, you hear it, you know, permable, perma bear, you know, an inflationista, deflationista, people who believe a certain thing. And when you kind of, once you make this forecast, your ego gets in wrapped up into the forecast. And when you're, when that happens, it gets really difficult to back away from any forecast. And like, that's a really tough position to be in. You need to have flexibility. Flexibility is, is, is a a huge advantage in this, in this game. And I would say even like a decent model is better than no model because a model shields your ego in that way. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's like, I'm not making this call. This is what my indicators are saying. This is what the data is saying. It's really important to have that distance when you're making, when you're trying to navigate these markets. And so that's something we do. We try to be really conscious of that and blind spots that could develop and and turn into a bias. Uh, so we've been pretty bearish. You know, we the first bearish report we wrote was in late late August of last year. We said 2022 is shaping up to be a tough year. And then by the time we wrote our outlook, we were we were pretty bearish on the year. You know, we 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 thought that we would see a Q2 Q3 steep correction uh, in the the view at the time now granted this is before russia ukraine which is a huge it changes all this analysis somewhat we thought that the fed would back off of their tightening cycle the fed put was somewhere between 3800 and 4000 we did a bunch of analysis and you know interspersing credit spreads with equities and how equities lead credit spreads equities lead high yield credit spreads which high yield lead uh, investment grade credit spreads we did a bunch of analysis there we looked at yield curve inversions and how long that lasts until the fed backs off and so we had this whole fed pressure scorecard so we've been bearish and then Russia Ukraine happens. Russia Ukraine 
my background is as an oil analyst, you know, for years, that's what I did it. And uh, so we quickly realized how serious this issue was for global commodity markets. And uh, already prior to that, we've been recommending having an overweight energy as a hedge to a lot of the things we saw developing anyways. And that just supercharged that trade. So we've been bearish on the markets and in general and bullish on very small pocket of oil and energy for the year. And, you know, so we wanted to make sure we weren't getting, then we had this big rally off the lows in March. We wanted to make sure that we weren't missing something. So we did this kind of what we call a steel man approach, which you described well. And, you know, we found that this is especially uh, helpful when, you know, you're in consensus, which at that point in time, bearishness was the consensus. So have some self-awareness and realize, you know, at that point, AAII survey was at like, 15% bulls, which is like a 30 year low. Um, and when you look at some of the things, like some of the other things we thought that were, you know, ostensibly bullish, you know, we, we model different types of investor portfolios at, at 314. And you know, if you're running a vol targeted strategy, which is pretty common, you would have uh, de-risked quite aggressively through the middle of March. And so we were at levels that have historically marked, you know, midterm, mid, mid intermediate term bottoms. Uh, we have an asset yeah, allocation. Actually on the, uh, sure. Yeah, well, let, me just, let me just cut in right there um, because, Brian, can you pull up chart um, one? Uh, this is from, um, as always, I, I like to steal my charts from my buddy Craig Peterson at uh, Tier 1 Alpha. Um, but he studies this uh, very carefully. So this is basically just a chart of S&P realized vol um, and, you know, like market, you know, day-to-day -day declines or, or uh, advances. And so, you know, the argument being that as realized vol continues to trend higher, Vol target strategy or uh, risk parity type of strategies, which for which there's over a trillion dollars of AUM, or there was at one point, um, you know, uh, attached that will de-risk um, because of their, the, you know, that's how their models are are designed to do. Um, much to what you were saying before about how you know you don't invest based on ideology, you just invest based on you know rules based or system. Well, so so that's that's what's you know contributing a lot of this. I guess if you want to call it an orderly downtrend or this this you know bear market or um you know whatever we are in currently on on SPX, um so I just wanted to pull that that chart up. Um, but it seems like in your report you were saying that these vol targeting strategies, yeah, they indeed have been selling off because of realized vol. However, they are at a point in which they're done selling. Is that is that correct? Yeah, or? I mean that the there's a nuance there. So we're at. In inner, most of the time where we're at about, we were doing 10% targeted vol and we were doing a 20 and 40 day blended look back. And most of the time you see we're at 40% exposure on those. And that's just a real, another fancy way of looking at realized vol truthfully and trying to put it in like portfolio management terms. But, um, we were at 40% exposure, which is a usual decent place to buy, but that's not where you would really want to get if you were looking for rock bottom positioning, 25%, which is where we were at the COVID lows, for instance, and a few other times at major lows during history. And we have some studies we, we showed around those 25% levels. So there was de-risking, but it wasn't enough ultimately in the report to jump to the end is like we examined all this bullish evidence we didn't convince ourselves to turn bullish. Uh, so we remained in the bearish camp. You know, 
The other things, just really quickly, just to walk through the, the things we did find that were bullish, and then I'm going to walk through a new bearish development, which I think frames up the stagflation stuff. So we saw, you know, Tina is a well-known thing. There's not very many places to put your your money. If you run, Brian, if you put the, the drawdown of a 60-40 portfolio up, on the screen, basically the drawdown of a 60-40 portfolio, traditional 60-40 portfolio has hit the levels that you would uh, that we saw at the end of the tightening cycle in 2018. So we're already the Fed's job owning has already pushed us into this um, world where stocks and bonds are selling off together, and you know equities look relatively compared to bonds probably better. So um, right, that was and, you know, and just a six, uh, just to, just to clarify too, you know, like the uh, risk parity is basically almost like a, a 60 40, but levered on the, you know, the, the, the 40 side. Um, and then you have like the move index and, and rate fall exploding as well. And so that all kind of ties in together. They're basically the same strategy or cousins of one another that are selling off together. Exactly. And that's what, you know, we've, we our model when it rebalanced, and we do have we have a a hybrid version of risk parity in our asset allocation model. We use a hierarchical risk parity, so it's a little bit different. But we still end up looking at vol and our stuff. And in, in coming into May, it went heavier into equities and lightened up its bond position. And that's something that you see mechanically happening throughout the markets at a, at a larger scale. So I mean, this is a real phenomenon. Um, Couple other things. I mean, the the despite the fact that we saw the index down only like ten percent, thirteen percent, whatever it is, under the surface, obviously there've been a lot of no uh, profitless tech companies and uh, kind of bubble bubble type of stocks that have already been taken out behind the woodshed, and so there's. There's evidence of a bubble deflating. Uh, macro momentum, we talked about the tax receipt data, how strong that's been. We saw that flow through in the Treasury issuance guidelines yesterday. Uh, and then the other thing, uh, which is not probably popular around here to talk about, but if you look at the implied inflation schedule from, from, the, from the TIPS market, um, inflation break-even market, you can see that uh, really, the way the market we've seen break evens rise, ten year break evens and five year break evens especially have risen a lot since the, uh, the the Russia Ukraine war. So we break it apart here on this bar chart and we look at where were we on each year's forecast by the bond market of where how inflation will go, and then we look at the blue bar is pre invasion, purple bar is post invasion, the gray bar is the most recent data point we had in this report. And the key thing here is that the big, the bulk of the move, 85% plus of the move we saw in 10 year and five year break evens occurred from inflation happening in the next 12 months. So this was like a big pig and a python of inflation coming through the market. And the big question in my mind is going to dictate how, how quickly you want to get back into the market and get some kind of risk asset exposure, even bond exposure in general, is will that inflate, will this inflation schedule hold, or will some of that next 12 month inflation creep into, you know, 12 to 24 month inflation, what we would call, you know, one year, two year forward, one year, five year forward, anything outside of that next 12 month inflation, will, will that creep into those out years? And if it does, then we start seeing a structural shift in this inflation outlook versus something that is honestly a little bit more transitory. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Right. So, um, actually, yeah. So, on that note, um, so I have a clip here uh, from, uh, so this is an interview with David Rosenberg. Uh, from Rosenberg Research and Associates, uh, being interviewed by Alex Gorevich, uh, very famous hedge fund manager, uh, rate vol trader, and uh, they basically talk about you know how the Fed is essentially you know has a pretty high probability of putting uh, the economy into recession. Just take a look at that clip. If I didn't have the conviction in my call, uh, and like I said, there is no such thing as a sure thing, but I do have conviction in my call. I am not 35% recession. Uh, I am 80% recession odds for this year, 80%. Now, people will say, well, what happened to other 20%? Well, the 20% is that there's things that could happen. Uh, and if we get some exogenous shock or something happens to cause inflation to start to come down more quickly, the Fed uh, will not raise rates to the extent that's priced in right now. Um, the Fed will not do what it's pledging to do right now. And that could be, you know, the soft landing scenario is that for whatever reason, inflation comes down and the Fed recognizes it in time. I have lots of reasons to believe that inflation will come down. I just don't know if the Fed is going to see it in time. They're so prone to making policy mistakes in both directions. But there is a 20% chance that we can emerge from this with a soft landing. I'm not saying it's 0%, but then you've got to ask yourself the question, and you're the portfolio manager, well, if I believe in Dave Rosenberg's view of 80%, understanding there is no such thing as zero or 100, is my portfolio and my asset mix positioned for an 80% chance of recession? And that was David Rosenberg being interviewed by Alex Gorevich. Um, just as a sort of programming note, I also want to mention, uh, I actually have a video coming out as well in which I give my personal takeaway on you know some real vision content i used to do this on the real vision exchange a lot and so this is the actual video that uh i did this sort of the, the, the first one of those uh on but so warren um what um what rosenberg is actually saying is that if you just look at history so essentially that you've had 14 in the post-war era the last few decades you've had 14 rate, uh fed rate hiking cycles 11 of which um ended in recession and so the Fed's, I guess, if you want to call it batting average or whatever, in terms of you know um, driving the economy into a recession during tightening cycles, is about 80%. That's where he's getting his 80% from. The other three out of the 14, those were the soft landings. So 20% chances of a soft landing, 80% chance of a recession. And then he also looks at markets, and markets are currently priced at approximately 30% pricing in recession. Um, and so therein lies the mispricing sort of discrepancy. Um, so any, any thoughts on that? I mean, I, I know that, you know, you were, you know, we just went over your, um, the, the holes in the bearish argument. And so therefore the bullish argument, but how does that stand up your, your current actual view? I guess you're still bearish on, uh, against, you know, uh, David Rosenberg. It sounds like you guys are kind of aligned. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I, I don't know about putting an exact percentage on it. We ran some recession probability models and we definitely saw like a threefold increase from January through uh, end of March. 
Um, but the big thing is, is we're just seeing cost pressures skyrocket and it's from the fed and it's from the war. And those are the two major, and there's some supply chain stuff too, but the cost pressures are, are skyrocketing. So we have, you know, mortgage rates shooting up at the same time, oil prices are skyrocketing and food prices are skyrocketing. So what we have is really the beginning stages of what I think could be a stagflationary period. So you would see growth decelerate and start to roll over. If you look at headline, something, another chart I passed along to you, Brian, uh, headline versus core CPI, what we're calling the CPI spread. So uh, headline CPI includes, you know, food and energy core is, you know, strips out food and energy more or less. And so um, if you look at these, this one is the one with commodities. You can see that it, it the, the spread between headline and core moves with commodities. And so uh, this is kind of what we, we've hit this 2% spread on the headline versus core for the only uh, the fifth time, a uh, distinct time in uh, modern history. If you go back into the 60s, this has only happened five times. So it was like 1973, 1980, 2005, 2007, and 2022. Those are your cases. So these are, and if you look at the next chart, which is market performance for the next two years, you can see these are volatile times. Like the, the lines can go over the place, but the, the history of these periods is a lot of volatility, sharp drawdowns. You know, the Fed's having to fight with inflation and consumers, ultimately, your liquidity is being stolen by these cost pressures. So, yeah, I think all this, this is part of what we wound up back in the bear cases because we don't see a quick resolution to the war. We don't see any way for even with the China lockdowns, oils above $100 a barrel. So, you know, the the, the cost pressures on the, the U.S. consumer are, are tightening, uh, tightening everything really quickly here. Yeah. So, uh, on that, the, the, by the way, I really like that, that analysis, that spread, um, the, the core verse headline spread analysis that you did. Um, so I have a question here from, uh, YouTube question for Warren Pies. Do you see demand destruction, destruction affecting, uh, and hurting the price of X XLE or other oil stocks, uh, in the next six months or less, um, to just kind of go off that, that last point you were making. No, I don't. I don't think we're there yet. Uh, we're at a hundred bucks a barrel, and that's with, you know, China doing intense lockdowns. Now, I think the only way we—I've said this from the get-go—is that when you look at historic recessions, uh, you know, we 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 think post when the dust settles off of the the sanctions, self-sanctions, everything that's happening in Russia, Ukraine, you're going to see about a four to four and a half million barrel a day gap between global oil supply and demand, and we have no precedent outside of the COVID lockdowns for a case of recessionary de natural demand destruction of that extent to close that gap. So that's already the perfect setup for stagflation. The the one tool in the toolbox that's new here is is lockdowns to control oil consumption, and there is it's not conspiratorial, I don't think, but I, you know the in China there are COVID lockdowns going on, and to think that. The uh, Chinese Communist Party has not thought through the the, the knock-on effects for commodity prices and for their own economy and for domestic consumption goals and things like that. I, I think that would be short sighted. I think they've considered all that, and that, and even with that lockdown, you're seeing oil above 100 bucks a barrel. So I think that the the rate of change on demand is most likely higher, and the rate of change on supply is most likely lower 
So no, I, I see the price of oil going up. I think energy equities are continuing to get re-rated. There are a lot of just like generalists and technicians who want to fade the rally that we're going through right now. And quite honestly, I think we're at the early stages of a big bull market. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Nope. Yeah, because uh, John Kitch, uh, Kitcher from the uh, RV site is also asking the same thing about, you know, is a long energy position still warranted? It sounds to me like you're saying it is. Um, personally, actually, though, you kind of reminded me of, um, you know, this is actually in the video that I was just talking about, of, about uh, my takeaways from the um, that interview with uh, Rosenberg. But there actually is, you know, a kind of a risk to the, the long energy trade in which, again, China, going back to what you were saying, because China has this uh, increasingly hard to defend, um, you know, policy of zero COVID, um, that, that actually provides this, like, you know, a, a potential switch that exists in which inflation expectations could, could flip immediately. Uh, if Xi Jinping just decides one day in his mind, uh, and therefore, through policy, that COVID zero is over, you're going to get a, a huge, huge uh, repricing, maybe temporary, but huge volatility and repricing in uh, commodities, in energy stocks, and all that. Um, and that's, you know, that exists, right, as, an, as a risk. So I'm not saying that it's going to happen or anything like that, but something to, to think about. You know, it's just one person uh, who can just literally flip a switch on, on inflation expectations globally. Yeah, you mean to to release the lockdowns that are in place right now, or to right, right. So you're right, talking so. about an upside risk to to yeah to energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That I think it's a rate of change thing, and we've already seen the oil market's been hit with a bunch of different bullets. We've had SPR releases, lockdowns all over China, and we're bulletproof. It's we're over a hundred bucks a barrel. It's impossible for me to overstate how big of a deal that is for this market to be where we're at, despite what's been thrown at on the demand side. So the next move is for demand to go up. What's going to happen when SBRs, we've already drained, what, 30% of global SBR fighting this battle. So, you know, a lot of bullets have been shot at this market and it's still holding up. I think that's a huge signal that everyone should pay attention to. Yeah. Uh, let me just get, uh, throw one more question at you, Bob, from the RV site. Thoughts on gold miners um, and, and silver? Uh, when do you think they shine, Warren, if they do? We have a chart on, I think gold miners are going to more or less follow gold and gold's been, uh, I mean, the, the thing is cost pressures for miners are going up too. So, I mean, you know, if, if gold stays steady while the rest of the commodity complex goes up, I mean, historic analysis that I've done in the past shows it's not the best environment for the miners, but if gold's keeping up with the uh, inflation that we're seeing, then they'll do well. The chart we're looking at here, you know, the, Another big story we didn't touch on so far this year has been the U.S. dollar and kind of the fall of the, the yen and the euro versus the U.S. dollar. And historically, the dollar index and gold can't live in a bull market together. Um, and that's what we're looking at on this chart is we're looking at just 63 rated day rate of change for U.S. dollar versus gold. That's all the blue dots. We, we put in the red dots with the best fit line for this year, for this year's performance of these two assets. 
And, you know, you can see they're moving together. It's a totally different relationship. And so, you know, I, we are bullish on gold. I, our model is technically neutral right now, but I think the breakout above 1950 was, was meaningful. I know we're back below that now, but I think it's still a slow grind higher for gold. Um, I do. And I think that ultimately the Fed's going to have to, just like Rosenberg said, and a lot of people are starting to look at is that this is an asset-based economy at this point. It's a consumption-based economy. The consumption is being fed by asset price appreciation. And so when rates rise, asset prices drop, consumption gets hit, ultimately gold, just like in 2018, is going to look through the tightening cycle and be the first, first asset, the canary in the coal mine, to realize the Fed's going to have to, we're stuck in a stimulus loop. And the Fed's going to have to re-stimulate the economy at some point or back off the tightening of these. Fair enough. Um, any thoughts on the Treasury market, I guess, in the kind of the near term? Are we oversold here? Yeah, I don't want to. We are oversold, uh, but you can get more oversold. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that... Uh, you know, I can I could defend a bond getting longer bonds here soon, but given the inflation schedule we looked at, for instance, um, and that maybe the market's getting a little ahead of itself on certain things. If I wanted to make a play, though, on lower interest rates, I think I would look at, you know, this is kind of out of consensus at the moment, but I would look at things, and we haven't published this as a trade yet, it's something I'm looking at, is uh, things like home builder stocks. If you think that we're going to get a move lower in, in long rates, uh, there are some attractive places, I think, in the market where you'd have a lot more be, there's there's a better risk reward to the trade. Let's put it that way. If we're really going to get a back off in in interest rates versus owning the treasuries themselves, not so attractive to me yet. It's one of the lowest uh, weighted assets in our model right now. Right. Um, personally, um, so you know, Japan Golden Week is going on right now. Japan is obviously one of the largest uh, foreign creditors to the U.S. and one of the largest buyers seasonally right now. Um, and so, go like. Currently, you're probably you know this is probably why you you saw you know treasuries break into that three handle yesterday with um, you know the the Japanese investors stepping out going into or you know coming out of Golden Week um, for a short term trade post FOMC tomorrow and all that uh, you know depending on if, as long as the markets aren't too crazy and volatile thereafter um, being long uh, the long end of the curve um, for a shorter term trade is something that I would be very much uh, looking to to trade uh, personally but um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see uh, what happens after that. Any final thoughts, Warren? As we head into the May FOMC, anything that you're looking for in particular? Uh, I mean, we'll just have to. Uh, the the tone of the I think that 50 basis points is what we get. Uh, I think that's yeah, you know, it's pretty consensus. The Fed doesn't want to surprise the market either way. Uh, and so I I my looking forward and through the meeting though I I still take the under on this kind of like hawkish craze that's taken over forecasters. Like, I just don't think we get to that end of that cycle where they're pressing up uh, whatever it is, four straight 50 basis point hikes. They're going to break something, in my opinion, and they'll back off. Yeah. Um, so let's see uh, what happens. But Warren, uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, and to all of you, thank you for the questions. Thanks again for watching the Real, Real Vision Daily Briefing. Uh, Maggie Lake will be back tomorrow with Darius Dale following the FOMC. Uh, my name is Weston Akamura, and thanks again for watching, and thanks, Warren. Thank you, Weston. It's a really complicated world out there. We've got massive inflation, recession fears, war in Europe, COVID, China issues. What the hell's happening? Everyone's got an opinion, but who's right, who's wrong? 
As co-founder of Real Vision, I've got my own view, but maybe I'm wrong too. And I want to go and find out more from real experts, real in-depth analysis. And I've hand-chosen my experts for this two-week journey of discovery in global recession. Is everyone wrong? I've chosen people like Peter Zihan to talk to him about geopolitics, David Rosenberg about the economy, and Pierre Andran, the world's most famous energy trader, about how to navigate the oil markets and where it's all going. This starts on May the 2nd. And I'm going to learn so much about what really is going on and how to best navigate it. Yes, not everybody's going to be saying the same thing, but it's going to allow me to piece together an investment framework to navigate these complicated times. Now, normally we give you seven day trial for one dollar. But because this is so important for all of you, and I think it's one of the most important pieces of content we've ever done, we're extending that free trial for two weeks for one dollar. So you get the entire campaign of all of these great minds. And it's only $1 for all of this. So just go to realvision.com forward slash global recession to find out more and join me as I try and figure out what the hell's going on. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best brightest and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.